Hello and welcome to Let's Talk a Clean Air. Today, looking at how the vicious forest fires destroying our landscapes are also having a detrimental effect on our air quality. Canada's wildfire season is now officially the worst ever recorded. 7.7 million hectares of forest burned so far this year. Air quality alerts from Minneapolis all the way east to New York City. A toxic smoke from the Canadian wildfires. It's burning on the eyes and burning in the nose. And I don't think this mask is even strong enough. The impact of wildfires isn't just limited to the locations of the fires, though. It's been reported that smoke from Canadian wildfires have reached as far as Norway. So this is an issue which affects us all, regardless of where we are. My name is Dusty Rhodes. Joining us to explain more and outline what damaging properties could be in the air is molecular filtration specialist Jennifer Webb, who lives right near one of the worst affected places on the planet in California. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Also with us today from Toronto is John Holmes, who is Campfield's National Account Manager in Canada, better known as the filter guy for his passion about managing indoor air quality to protect our health. John, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Desi. So listen, let me start off by asking about the impact of the fire. John, uh, Canada has experienced some of the worst wildfire seasons on record. And Jennifer, you're in California, which we see on the news uh, being ravished by fires over the last number of years. From your perspective, is this an increasing effect of climate change? From a Canadian perspective, unfortunately, it seems to be a seasonal thing. This is not just once in a while. I know when I was living in Calgary or, or the West, much closer to uh, to Jennifer, you know, this was something that happened basically every springtime. So uh, we, we had to get prepared for it. Yeah, and definitely it's, a, as most people know, a huge problem out here in California in particular. We've just had longer and worse droughts. And, and then the temperatures, of course, from climate change are rising everywhere. In fact, this weekend, the temperatures here in my, I'm in the, the Central Valley near Sacramento, they're going to be 112 Fahrenheit, which is 44 Celsius, big numbers. And Ouch. we get more and more of these hot days, which means even a small fire, just it gets, it's worse. But are you noticing that with the temperatures and other atmospheric conditions? Are you noticing that the wildfire seasons are changing? Are they getting longer or more frequent? Uh, they're definitely the fires are starting earlier and occurring even later. Normally, the fire season would have been just during the summer month in the West, in California in particular. We don't get any rain anyway during the summer. Typically, it stops April or May and then the rains will pick up in October. But uh, over the last five years, we've had serious drought and some haven't even had rain, you know, until December, January. And we're having wildfires at Christmas time out here. It's crazy. And do you think it's just the lack of rain that's driving this or are there other environmental uh, factors that are worsening the impact of the wildfires? Uh, Well, I think the other big problem just in general, besides climate change and uh, just global warming, has been that in general, just forest management has has taken a strategy of stopping any fire, so suppressing even what were normally occurring fires. So there's a lot more fuel out there anyway. And um, and even this past year, we did happen to have a good rainy season that's filled our reservoirs and aqueducts. However, now there's even more plant life that grew because of the, the water. And now we're going to have even more fuel. So the hotter temperatures and more fuel just are not a great combination in terms of wildfires. 
Let's talk about what's in the air with these wildfires, because I was in Melbourne a couple of years ago when Australia were having particularly bad uh, wildfires. And one thing we were all saying there was that you can smell, you can smell the wildfire before you can actually see it, even if it's, you know, hundreds of miles away. Has this been your experience, John and Jennifer? Absolutely. It's it's interesting. I get a lot of um, clients calling when we do have these seasonal forest fires, unfortunately, and they're like, well, what do we do? People are complaining about the smell. And I mean, there's a lot of compounds that go into forest fire or wildfire smoke, of course, but really it, it, for me and, and clients, just to keep it simple, I break it down in two categories. There's particles that that's really what's going to cause you know, cognitive, cognitive issues and health issues. And then there's the smell, which is more gases. And that's typically, unless you're super close to the fire, it's more of a nuisance. Um, Jennifer, what, what do you say to that? Well, you know, my ex- my specialty is in gas filtration, which can is includes odors. And often I'm the first person people call when they're, you know, one of our agencies are looking for a solution because they've got complaints from their customers. And it is, it's, you know, carbon or a molecular filter in there will help with the odors and it can help with some of the other gases that are produced, but that isn't the first and foremost problem. It really is a a PM 2.5, a particulate, fine particulate problem that's causing the most of the discomfort for people. And in some of those gases that are dangerous, if you're close to where fires, you don't even smell them anyway. So as you said, it's really just the nuisance piece of it that you would want to use that kind of filter. It's the particulates that are really worrisome. Can you explain to me more about what uh, PM 2.5 is? Well, okay, part of the two, uh, 2.5 is the measurement, the size of a particulate. 2.5 microns is less than a tenth the size of a, the width of a human hair. So really tiny particles. I was curious this morning when I was doing my little research, and thank you for addressing the PM 2.5, because I, I couldn't remember the size of a hair versus the particle. But anyways, <laughs> what I found was interesting is that, you know, I was thinking about airplanes and why, why did we have so many issues with airlines being delayed and all this other kind of stuff. And it was a lot of things. One is, you know, the, the matter negatively impacted or fouled the engines. However, here's the thing, that the crazy level of technology these planes have to see the ground is fine with things like water and moisture and that kind of stuff because that's a liquid, but particulate matter is a thing that the, the radars and so on can't see through. So I thought that was rather interesting. So just to bolt on to the, the particulate matter side of things, it's solid objects, but very small. So these things are tiny, 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 tiny. What is it that's in there that we should be worried about? Well, I think it's more so about the particulate itself rather than the the, uh, the composite of it, right? You know, a long time ago, a customer asked me, well, isn't it okay, just like when kids play with dirt, that they get used to the, the, the microbes and this kind of thing to have a better immune system? Like, sure, but the human lung wasn't designed to you know, uh, get stronger with particulate in it. It's just not designed that way. However, immune response does help with things like, you know, dirt on our hands and, and that kind of thing. So two variant of uh, two very different um, um, ballparks, so to speak. So can I ask you, Jennifer, then, how are we monitoring the air quality then in relation to these fires? Yeah. So what's interesting living in California, it's becoming small talk wherever you go this time of year to talk about the air quality index or AQI, it, you know, there's numbers and colors that are, uh, that signify how poor the air quality is and during wildfires, it's, it's typically really bad. And so just to step backwards, what that air quality index is based on are these six compounds called criteria air pollutants. 
And they were they were established and developed in the 70s as part of the Clean Air Act in the United States. And the they identified the six most worrisome compounds that are in air pollution and that there was a, a movement to measure them, monitor them, and then also figure out ways to mitigate them. And so those six criteria air pollutants are particulate matter, particularly the PM 2.5, those teeny particles that are you can't see, lead, which is a particle, carbon monoxide, which is not something that can be filtered, but you need to make sure that you're diluting the air. And then the remaining three are gases, also sulfur dioxide, which is generated as a byproduct of a lot of manufacturing processes of combustion, like refineries. Uh, nitrogen oxides, particularly nitrogen dioxide, which is a byproduct of combustions, particularly cars and engines, but also wildfires. And then finally, ground level ozone, which is what happens when the UV light from the sun reacts with the nitrogen dioxide and other VOCs that are out there. And uh, so those are all really worrisome because when you're breathing these gases and sometimes you don't even smell them, they're damaging, permanently damaging to your lungs. And in fact, ozone, they I've read this, that they will call it getting a sunburn for your lungs if you're breathing ozone in. Sunburn on your lungs? I can't let you get away with telling us more about that. Okay, so uh, ozone is a gas that's formed, you know, from the UV lights, from the sun reacting with these chemicals. And although you can't typically smell it, it is... Uh, just a very dangerous gas. And so when it's coming in, it, it has a chemical reaction when you're breathing inside of the surfaces of your lungs and it's damaging the tissue in there. And so the effect would be like an actual burn because it's a chemical reaction of what's going on when you're breathing. Wow. So thinking then about the atmosphere before it gets into your lungs, what kind of temperatures are we talking about? How has it changed over the years? Yeah, well, you know, some people may dispute what's going on with climate change and our impact, you know, if there's a human uh, human reason behind it. But the fact is that since the temperatures, the average global temperatures have been recorded starting in 1880, typically the, the average temperature is was increasing about 0.14 Fahrenheit or 0.08 Celsius every every year. But since 1981, that amount has more than doubled the amount of the temperature change of increase each year. So there's definitely something that's been happening in the last 40 years that's been impacted theoretically by men, man-made. But um, there's uh, indisputably a, a more rapid increase in, in the global temperatures. Okay, so we know that it's not good, but who is monitoring the air quality and, and where do they monitor it? Yeah, so it's interesting that during this time of year when these fires are coming, if you look on most phone apps that are where there's a weather uh, weather, weather app, when you scroll down, there will be an air quality index listed on there. And there are many stations. I, you can actually get one through some of these sites that do the monitoring of airgov, no, airnow.gov, purpleair.com, and several other apps and websites where they take these these monitoring stations all over the world and most often at airports and in big cities where you're getting more of these air pollutants and you can see what the reading is. And so it's an, it's something that we all consider is, okay, what what's the air quality today? If it's over 100, then I'm not going to take a walk outside. If it's over 150, then I'm going to start closing up the windows. I'm going to do some things. And, you know, 
very often, unfortunately, times the air quality index will be a number over 300, which corresponds typically to a high PM 2.5. That's the component on those days that's making that number or the color. There's a corresponding color that's the purple or maroon air when it gets really bad. So unfortunately, this is now part of our vocabulary. When you talk about the weather, you're also talking about what's the AQI. You know, and put, to put the PM 2.5 uh, or the AQ, or put more context, I guess, on the AQI side of things, uh, you know, certainly I love that there's a lot of different colors. It's very easy to see green is great, purple's not so great. Um, but to put the numbers in perspective in terms of, you know, AQI of, say, 150, um, that's equivalent, according to a 2020 study by Stanford, um, Woods Institute for the Environment, that's equivalent to smoking seven cigarettes. Now, mind you, that's based on standing outside for that entire period of time. So sure, you got to consider that. But in New York City, um, the AQI was 300. So that's 14 cigarettes worth of breathing that particulate in just by exposing yourself outdoors. So obviously that's why it's so critical to avoid um, that kind of exposure. And th- th- that that's huge, especially for somebody who doesn't smoke. The thought of them smoking 14 cigarettes inadvertently because there's a wildfire that's happening in another country. You know, these these things are, are, are possible. Do you think then that we're going to be going towards a situation that if air quality continues to deteriorate, that we could see restrictions on our movement? I mean, the world shut down for COVID. You think if a wildfire comes that we'll be getting warnings that you're not allowed to go outside or you're not allowed to exercise or go running? I think there's a, a place where government could potentially say that, but I think it's also common sense. You don't want to go outside and take care of yourself by what you think is taking care of yourself by exercising and so on, where you're breathing significantly more than you would at a standstill uh, when it's the equivalent of, you know, seven to 14 cigarettes worth of particulate matter in the outdoor air. So, you know, if you can find a way to exercise and still get that dopamine rush and all the benefits that come along with exercise, perhaps indoors, you know, that would be something to think about. Uh, yeah, and I'm not even sure you need government intervention just because a lot of organizations are just taking it upon themselves to cancel activities. I know uh, a couple of years ago, like a lot of the graduation ceremonies in early June were being canceled because they normally would hold them outside and they didn't want people out there. Or my kids have had soccer tournaments, entire tournaments just canceled because they were in an area where there was, you know, hot, bad air quality. And so it's uh, it's almost just become part of instead of snow days in Canada, you end up with smoke days here where you just everybody's just canceling it for the, the common good of the people involved. Can I ask you about that, John? I mean, that's 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 a great personal example, uh, Jennifer, of how, of how life is changing. You've got you've got smoke days in California and we've seen some pretty shocking videos online of high rise buildings in New York with just black outside there was windows. John, from your end up in Canada, do you have any examples of how the uh, wildfires have affected you? Well, certainly, you know, limiting my exposure to, to leaving the house, um, you know, when, when these sorts of things happen, travel is, is reduced as well. I mean, certainly there's an impact on uh, the airline industry as well as a result. So, yeah, you're pretty, you got you to gotta hunker down and, and get uh, to what, you know, some would call a clean air shelter, so to speak. So um, certainly it makes uh, one lot less productive if, if you need to leave the house. And what actions have each of you taken personally to protect your own air quality? I mean, I'm fortunate that I work for Camphill and we have the world's best uh, portable um, HEPA air purifier. I have a, a City M in my home and I, I love that I have a clean air space. Um, and so that's what I use. Have, have, you, have you nicked one from the office as well, Jennifer? 
Uh, I had one tipped out. Yes, I have one. And once, once the first one comes, fire comes through, I'm going to have it right next to my desk here, <laughs> purring along. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of that is because I have an older home and we don't have the capability of really doing much with our existing filtration system for the air coming into the house. So that's a great supplement to the minimal amount of filtration that we can already do to capture those particulates. You know, if I may just jump on on that point real quick, you know, you mentioned you have an older home, but even some of the newer homes that are attempting to meet LEED standards. The LEED standard for filtration in a newer home is MERV 6, which isn't even close to touching the PM 2.5 levels that are negatively impacting us humans. So, you know, it would, and of course, folks don't want to go and put in a HEPA into their HVAC system at home because that would never work. You don't have enough equipment and all the things that you need to actually get that clean air other than a supplemental air purifier to uh, what Jennifer and I are both uh, both doing. So whether it's a new or old home, something to think about. So John, we know there's bad stuff in the air, wildfires aside, just in general, okay? If somebody is listening today and they're kind of looking at their building and they're thinking, okay, well, uh, we're indoors, we're fine. Are they? Great question. I mean, traditionally, indoor air can be 90% or 10 times worse, excuse me, than, than outdoor air. However, wildfires certainly change that. Um, so you really want to make sure that those the particle contaminants from the outdoors are not making their way indoors. And certainly when you're opening and closing doors, th- th- that's kind of tough. But what you can do is try to uh, reduce the amount of outdoor air coming in, but also filter that air properly and, and uh, using something similar to uh, what, what was recommended in the pandemic, at least a MERV 13 or 14A Think of the A as actual, if you will, or if you're listening across the pond, you know, most people, uh, 90% of folks in Europe adopt the global standard, which is ISO. So you'd be looking for an ISO um, uh, EPM1 filter that would get rid of the majority of those particles known to to negatively impact uh, us humans. And if you know then that the quality of air in your office or in your building, what kind of impact does that better air quality have on the workforce? I mean, it's astounding. I read an article on, on CBS News where just the actual workers themselves lost over $100 billion in income because of the, you know, they couldn't go to work sometimes, or maybe the, they were less productive at work and they had to tap out early, or they had to spend more on um, their healthcare bills. That was also something to consider. And then there, on, the, on the company side of things, there's, there's a lot of studies that are um, you know, looking at the, the economic impact of pollution, wildfires, and so on associated with a reduction in productivity. I mean, to the tune, you know, in, in California, there was a study back in 2012, you know, an increase, a small increase of ozone reduced uh, productivity by 6% in outdoor workers, but inside just a 10 microgram or half a cigarette, because each cigarette's about 20 micrograms uh, worth of PM 2.5, they lost 6% of uh, production uh, from indoor workers. So, all that to say, I think make, making your workplace a, a clean indoor air shelter, so to speak, is also good for business. It's great for people, but it's also good for profit because you're going to have happier, healthier uh, workers that um, can certainly do a better job. Well, I think happier and just uh, just healthier. And and when you are happier and healthier, your, your body works better and your brain works better. And of course, the way I look at it is you get your work done faster, you go home earlier. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking that uh, more and more, a lot of the companies in this area, not just hospitals, but other offices are setting up there when they're they're designing new spaces or when they're renovating their spaces, they're building in a high capacity 
MER-14A or higher and carbon combination filter. That's just what standard goes in there, not just when there's, oh gosh, there's a wildfire, let's put something in. That's just their regular standard filter that they're designing in there. And so I think more companies are realizing that Mm. the whole productivity is benefit from just having everything in place because they know it's inevitable and they want to protect that, their assets. And not to get geek out too much on, on the MERV side of things or filter geek speak, so to speak, but when we've all heard of MERV through the pandemic, unfortunately. So everyone's like, yeah, 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 MERV 13. But not all MERV 13s or 14s are created equal. You could be buying essentially what you think is a MERV 13 and it could be no better than a screen door because it's you're getting MERV 6, 7, or 8. Why? Because a lot of these uh, filters rely on a static charge, kind of like a Swiffer or one of those electrostatically enhanced mops, we'll say. But um, when you are looking for MERV-13, make sure it's true MERV-13. And the best way to know that is that it comes with an A rating as well. And that's not a new standard. It's been out, gosh, almost 15 years. So look for the same MERV and MERV-A rating. And let me ask you then about, because that's all very expensive equipment that you're putting into a place. I'm thinking about maintenance. And if you have wildfires that are in your area or, you know, a couple of hundred miles away, does that play havoc with the maintenance of of these filters and uh, conditioning systems? You know, I I remember when I was back in Alberta, uh, southern Alberta, Lethbridge area, and it looked like we were on or on Mars. It was just an orange sky and there was literally ash everywhere. So, of course, filters were loading up with ash and debris significantly faster than they ever normally would. People had to replace filters a lot more frequently. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. But I do know that some sometimes, you know, using a filter that's got higher capacity, which is also, you know, an investment, but they're, you know, they can make it through a wildfire season if they've got a high capacity enough filter. And so, again, that's another thing to look at if you have the opportunity to put in those higher MER filters is to get one that's also going to perform, that has more capacity. So you're not doing like monthly change outs that'll last the, through the season. I'm, I'm not an expert in, um, in indoor air quality by any stretch of the imagination, but I have seen some videos online and I see these filters when they come out where they're being changed. And I suppose it's a little bit, we've mentioned smoking today. When you look at a cigarette filter after you've smoked it and you see the stuff that's on the filter and you go, oh my God. You know, if that's there, if that, if that wasn't there, that would have gone into the building or into my lungs or whatever. So it's quite it's quite a thing when you uh, when you see it. Let me ask you, because both of you have such a strong knowledge of indoor air quality. What do you think is the first thing someone listening can do uh, to work towards a better understanding of indoor air quality? What kind of Google searches should you do? Or, or chat GPT, my new best friend, you know, just asking like, what are the, what, what is the air quality index trend in my area? Well, how has it changed over time? What is the, the, talking about the temperature, any of these things to finding out just what your own, the trends in your own area are, what, what should you be anticipating? And then also, I think, what, what can I do for my older house? You ask chat GPT, it finds all that to protect myself from the wildfire. The one thing that wasn't mentioned before for somebody who's in there uh, for someone's home, a way that you can protect yourself, obviously you want better filtration, but if you don't have that, and even if you if it happens all of a sudden, you don't have time to get an air purifier in, is also to close all your windows and close the outside air intake if you have a, just a fan feature. Because even if it's a lower efficiency filter, the opportunity to continue to cycle that air through it will still continue to catch some of them. And so it's better than nothing to at least 
reduce the amount of air of outside smoke coming in and just try to filter what you've got as much as possible through just a 100% recirculation. And another consideration too is, is again, if you don't have one of these air purifiers and, you know, is if perhaps consider going to work. Um, a lot of times, you know, your office building, and again, not everyone works in an office tower, but for those uh, that do, office towers traditionally have significantly better indoor air quality than you could try to attempt at home. But on the way to that place, on the way to the office, it's important that you, re same point as Jennifer made, recirc your air in your vehicle and, you know, stay away from buses and that because they're also polluting as well. So kind of create a clean air bubble on your way to work. So you're doing all of these things to protect yourself. You're doing a little bit of Googling, a little chat GPT, and just kind of finding out more about the subject. If you want to actually do something to encourage better air quality at the place where you do work, what can you tell me about the Chief Ergonomics Officer Scheme that's uh, running at the moment? Yeah, it's an interesting initiative where, you know, one would volunteer or, or nominate somebody to to be kind of the, the champion for cleaner or the voice of cleaner at their, their building or facility. And really what that entails is, you know, being that sole person, that's the chief ergonomics officer who looks into, you know, what can be done? What can we do in this building? How can we better protect our employees? And that could be, you know, anybody, frankly, it could be somebody who's in health and safety. It could be somebody who's in HR. It could be anybody who really finds a keen interest in making sure that, you know, we're, we're managing the invisible that is clean indoor air for our, our people inside. So really then the only qualification you need to be Chief Ergonomics Officer is to have an interest in the area and just to be curious and, and, and to share the information that you find. Uh, John, maybe kind of wrap up by asking you about, this, this is interesting because wildfires is a big topic this year. Two, three years ago, COVID was a big topic. It's all to do with air quality. Are there correlations? Absolutely. I think there's so many correlations between the pandemic and, and forest fires in terms of recommendations, you know, um, except the big differences and you can now see the threat, right? You can see the haze, you can see the particulate matter, you know, uh, the, the recommendations to wear a filter for your face, aka a good quality mask that is sealing well, um, avoiding those particles. Uh, and, and frankly, that's why MERV-13A was recommended during the pandemic as well is because a lot of those um, particles, PM2.5, were known to carry a high viral load. So it's not so different in terms of... Um, protecting people. Okay. Well, listen, thank you both for joining us today, John and Jennifer, on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about our topic or about John or Jennifer themselves, just follow the links in our show notes. You'll find them in the description of this podcast on your phone or whichever device that you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to find out more about the Chief Ergonomics Officer program, which is running, there is a website, chiefergonomicsofficer.com, uh, where you can learn more and you can join the initiative there. There's also a LinkedIn group as well, which you're welcome to join us on. Also, links for all of that in the description area of the podcast. Do join us next time as we keep you up to date with the latest issue of our Let's Talk Clean Air podcast to get it automatically just click the follow button on your player until then from myself Dusty Rhodes thank you for listening